The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody this morning. Big welcome. And uh, I feel inspired, just I saw so many children here today, just really great to see and really appreciating our, I think we have like eight, maybe nine children teachers for our teen group, our preteen and the children's group. The preteen and teens, they meet in the building across the street, the Ivy Arts Center, so we don't see them so much, but they do get dropped off here. And uh, people may not realize, but when Shelley and I are teaching on Sunday mornings, then the donations that come in for those sessions, some of those donations then cover the stipends for those teachers. So we give them stipends at the end of the academic year, so they volunteer to be teachers for the whole academic year. So that's that's just how that works, in case parents are wondering how that works. We do support them. And if you want to support them, you can just put the donation in the... There's always that bowl where I'm looking, you know, the donation table, the, the bowl on the left, but when you're looking at it, it will be on your right side. That's just for Common Ground's operation, which includes things like the children's programs and the office and you know, all the development we do here and at Prairie Farm, our <coughs> retreat property. And then the donations in the middle, <coughs> excuse me, are specific to that program. And when we have guest teachers or other program teachers at the center, like Patrice will be doing her Parmes class uh, starting on Tuesday night, then two-thirds of the donations go to any of our regular teachers other than Shelley and me and any guest teachers. Because Shelley and I receive our support from the board based on the overall donations to the center because we're both staff teachers here. So a little bit of background. I don't mention that too much, but it's good to be clear so people understand how it works at the center. And you're always invited to ask questions. You know, we don't want to bore people with the details, but Carrie and Dan are our program hosts, or you can see me afterward or just connect with the office at any time if you have questions. And you might have picked up, given the instructions this morning, that I was thinking it might be nice for us, those of you who are going to attend, to spend some time over the next number of weeks looking at one of the most complete set of meditation instructions the Buddha left for us, this Really amazing 16-step instruction. And we just did the first three instructions this morning, so there's more. The first, establishing mindfulness to the four, is sort of the one instruction that comes before the 16th. So maybe there's 17 altogether. And, uh, but it really is the complete path, and it's an embodied approach to being aware, to awakening. It's not about leaving the body, and the body is, in a way, a symbol of the world, our relationships. We're not leaving anything behind. We're finding our way back home, right to the middle, right to the center, <clears throat> which is often the place we don't want to be because when we land in our lives, in our bodies, in the moment, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's often frustrating because the world isn't the way we want it to be. My body's not the way I want it to be. The weather's not the way our paths or partners, politics, not the way I want it to be. And so there is this sort of endemic 
kind of attitude, spiritual attitude about which I jokingly refer to as get me out of here, get me the heck out of here. I don't like it here. And for some of us, depending on your religion, is like, I want to move somewhere else, you know. And so Minnesota is not heaven, but when I go to this other place, or whatever your idea of spiritual freedom is, that it often involves, get me out of here, get me out of this relationship, get me to retirement so I don't have to work, get me beyond the current political state in this country, get me to this place where there isn't systemic violence and aggression against groups of people that have been marginalized for so long, right? Get me to that special place where I don't have to feel bad, where I don't feel bad. And a lot of our suffering is actually arises because of that superficial sense of what salvation is, that get me out of here sort of version of salvation. And we all have it, you know, myself included, of course. And a little of it is okay. Like you notice in the first three, or especially the second and third instruction, just being aware of the breath as an exclusive meditation object, we are skillfully excluding our attention from the world, right? We're letting, we're specifically on purpose letting go of the world because we're purposefully paying attention to something quite simple and neutral. Breathing in, understanding, oh yeah, breathing is like this, breathing out is like this. If I'm doing that with a whole heart, there's no space left in my mind to wonder what's happening in the world, the typhoon in Japan, or the this there, or the that there, or this relationship in my life, or my financial insecurity. Because I'm having this continuous, sustained, relaxed, intimate presence with the breath coming in and the breath going out. So there is definitely a place, a time and place. This is a essential human skill to have, to retreat, to seclude, to put down the load, to turn away, to turn the attention away from whatever we're obsessively fixated on. And there's time, it's a necessary skill to be able to pick it up, to turn back, to feel into, to open up to, to respond to, to engage, right? So once we have a sense, this is this first instruction that isn't numbered as an instruction, but the Buddha says, I'll just read what he says. And how practitioners is mindfulness of breathing in and out of great fruit now and of great benefit when cultivated and made much of. Here, practitioners having gone to the wilderness, a foot of the tree, a foot of a tree, or to an empty hut, or your local urban meditation center, <laughs> sits down, legs crossed or in a chair, body erect, establishing mindfulness to the forefront. Always attentive, one breathes in with mindfulness and breathes out with mindfulness, with awareness, mindful awareness, right? Present moment awareness. These are words generally here at the center we use synonymously. Mindful awareness, awareness, present moment awareness, right? So it's 
we're using, and in a way that breath in and out, like I mentioned in the guided sit, it's just a symbol or a feedback mechanism because the breath, the in-breath, as an actual occurrence, only is known in the present moment. Of course, the idea of the breath could be known, you know, we could be obsessive, obsessively thinking about the breath, but the sensations of breathing in, the occurrence of that in-breath or that out-breath is a present moment event. So if we're just establishing this present moment awareness, right, then we, the breath is going to be here. The bodily sensations will be here. The experience of hearing and seeing can only be here. And the, the recognition that mental activity is being known can only happen in the present moment. So other moments when the mind isn't aware of the present moment, that's when we're lost in thought but not aware that we're lost in thought. To the degree the mind is aware that thinking is happening, then the mind is still present. So that first instruction to establish mindfulness to the fore, to the forefront, is just that, as I mentioned in the guided sit, getting really clear. And don't feel like, okay, I got it. Like even now today, 27, 28 years in, I'm establishing like the difference between distractedness and non-distraction. Because thinking about being mindful looks like we're being mindful. The mind is easily deluded, right? Just like dreaming about something. There's a great line from C.S. Lewis. Some of you know the um, author, Christian orientation. But he said in terms of spiritual life that, you know, we can think that we're totally engaged in our spiritual practice, you know, made real progress only to discover we're still in bed. Having, <laughs> haven't even gotten out of bed or brushed our teeth. We're still there. And this is the thing. It's like there are a lot of people who appreciate spiritual practice. It's an intellectual exercise. It's a relatively nice intellectual exercise to appreciate spiritual ideas, to appreciate spiritual ideas about spiritual practice, to appreciate people apparently have undergone spiritual practice. It's like a big subset of spiritual activity is appreciating uh, concepts and ideas that sort of are in that category of spiritual. But it's not real spiritual practice. They may be better ideas than other ideas that we would be thinking about or reflecting on, but it's basically being lost in thought. So this is where, what do we say, the rubber hits the road, right? This first instruction where the Buddha says, here practitioners having gone to the wilderness, right? So that wilderness or an empty hut, that's just at that time, like how we, like if we're interested in doing this, we need this initial part of the practice. Nobody should assume that I'm ready to go to the, part where I'm just opening to life as it is. So the first part, and this is kind of not specific to Buddhism, is to retreat from your duties and responsibilities. Not forever. The whole point is to be able to go into your duties and responsibilities in a compassionate, engaged, clear way. 
but it doesn't really work very well for us when we just go right, like having the resolve to be better, a kinder person, a wiser person, a more aware person, that intention isn't enough. The mind has to be trained. This is what we've been talking about the last number of weeks since early September. Like this basic recognition, we don't like it, but I think I need to train my mind. Like if I just let my mind do what it wants to do, it doesn't look or feel good. I don't trust it. And that's sort of, that's like a, a first spiritual insight to realize the mind needs to be trained. And so the first thing we do is we, it's this empowering move where we realize I can in this moment, moment by moment, I can choose what I pay attention to. And the choice of what I pay attention to and how I pay attention to it has implications. I'm actually planting seeds that affect how the mind, the heart unfolds, how my life unfolds, by how, by what and how I'm paying attention. And so we need to develop confidence in that. Okay, the Buddha says pay attention to the in and out breath. Initially, it will be relatively a, a gross or ordinary in and out breath, but as the whole system settles, you know, because the breath and generally the body mirrors the mind. So as the mind settles down, becomes more peaceful, then the breathing process changes too, right? So we're not trying to change the breathing process, as I mentioned, but we're just checking out the power of how and what we pay attention to. And we're going to pay attention to the breath in a relaxed, skillful way, so not controlling way, not using greed and aversion, basically. So we summarize that as being relaxed and persistent, continuous, sustained way, right? Exclusive way. So initially, for the first part, these just first few instructions, we're working with an exclusive object of awareness. And a lot of the times when you've been at Common Ground, we've taught a more open awareness practice where other objects can come in and the mind is invited to know. Oh yeah, thinking's happening. Hearing's happening. Reactivity is arising. It's like this. It's just this experience being known. We'll get there. But as a training, everybody should experiment and develop this particular mental muscle. So I'll spend a few weeks, even though, as I mentioned, there are these 16 or 17 instructions, and we'll move through them over the next month or two. But we're going to take some time so that people are being encouraged to practice an exclusive meditation practice, exclusive object of meditation. Your attention, you get one option. And you can, well, you get, you can choose like how you're going to feel the breath. It could be generally in your body. It could be specifically as the rising and falling of the abdominal wall. It could be the expansion and contraction of the rib cage. A lot of people like it right at the tip of the nostrils, just as that touching. But it really is up to you, wherever it's relatively easy and uncomplicated for you to feel the sensations not the idea of the breath going in and out, not the mental image that the thinking mind constructs of the breath going in and out, but the physicality, the sensations in and out. Right? 
So establishing mindfulness, knowing that the mind is not distracted. How do I know? Because here it is, the body, sitting body, and lo and behold, the breathing body, right here, right now, happening. It's a present moment, physical or embodied happening. And then we know the difference between when the attention is tracking that natural phenomena of breathing in and out and when it's not tracking. And we have that kind of friendly, serene, oh, there I go again. Lost in thought. I took the mind, took the bait. And that's the habit of the mind. So we're very forgiving because it's a very deep habit of the mind to take the bait, to think, I need to think about this. Right? And then, of course, to think about it. And then once we're thinking about something, the very strong tendency is for each thought to trigger another thought that appears like it really needs to be thought in this exclusive way. So in a way, we're usually doing exclusive meditation practice, but we're doing it with delusion, meaning we're lost in thought, but we're not aware we're lost in thought. So our reality is the thought that's being thought. That's our reality. And that's how we scare ourselves. That's how we delight ourselves. And that's how we justify wars and oppression and, you know, not taking care of our kids in the best of ways. And all those things that we later regret because when we are awake, we feel what that's left behind in our hearts all of that unskillfulness, not really being a good human being, living from that selfish point of view. It hurts. That's called the seeds, you know, the fruits of our intentional actions are left behind, or what in Buddhism we call karma. It matters. Actions matter, including the action of how and what we pay attention to. So the first instruction then, you know, um, it's interesting, the first two instructions, so I'm not counting that, establishing mindfulness to the fore as the first. So the first instruction is, uh, while breathing out, long one notices, one understands. This is a relatively long breath, a relatively gross breath, or you could even use the word ordinary breath out, ordinary breath in, ordinarily long and gross breath out, ordinary long. And you're just there. This is hard work because the mind is not used to having an exclusive object. No, honey, just stay here. Just stay here. No, no, it's okay. Just stay here. How to be interested in that. And you have to use a little borrowed faith. So I said earlier, it really matters what and how we pay attention. So I'm telling you, and the Buddha is telling us, that when you have this exclusive attention to something ordinary, like the breathing in and breathing out process as a physical happening, and you put down everything else, then there will be a healing effect. And that healing effect in your body and mind will feel good. So there's your reward. right? So even from a selfish point of view, if you have enough faith, confidence, that Mark's not up here lying, or the Buddha's not lying, or your other Dharma friends who have been at it for a while aren't lying. They're not like, yeah, trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Then you might be willing to check it out because you have to persist. 
you won't know the fruits of this until you put in the effort. You have to do it. Now, I, I want to really emphasize, I know I've said it already a couple times, but there's a big wrong idea in general superficial circles around people's understandings of Buddhism where people think that the Buddhist teachings are about retreating. The world's a mess, so I'm going to go into my quiet space and I'll be safe there, retreated from the world. And basically that's a lot of people's ideas, idea of what the Buddhist practice or teachings are about. And it's just not the case. But that's what we're doing for these early instructions. So no matter what's going on in your life, you could have serious stuff going on. You have cancer, You know, your dog ran away, you've been an activist, you really care about these things, and you're losing your job, right? So it's like, but when you do this practice, you're not, you may need to do all kinds of things with those issues going on in your life. You may need to rally support, organize friends and family to help you get clear in your own mind what you think you should do about this or that. But when you sit down to do this practice, these first two instructions, you're realizing that for this number of minutes that you've decided to practice, it is safe to put down those concerns. That right now, I'm not picking up those concerns. And you have to be really clear in your mind to practice now, isn't it in fact okay, given that you're going to choose whether you're going to sit for an hour or ten minutes, you're going to choose. So when you choose that amount of time and you get your little insight meditation timer, free download, get it on an app, makes a nice little ring for you, it has all kinds of other features, you know how that goes, but anyway, simple version is very easy to use, then you don't have to pay attention to your clock and you know you've chosen the amount of time you feel definitely I'm safe to sit still for that amount of time. You found a quiet tree (laughs) or hut or come to common ground or corner of your uncluttered corner of your apartment or home to sit down. And then you know, you remind yourself, you know, as as ridiculous as it will feel, I know it's safe to put everything down now. And I'm going to pick up this particular training object that the Buddha recommends that people have been doing for a long time now, 2,600 years and even before, of course, and having real benefits from. And we really need to master this to some degree before moving on to the other instructions, right? Because there are uh, 14 other instructions that we're going to go to, and that that is in the direction of liberating the heart. But we have to develop this initial move of putting down the world, because we can't really understand the mind, we can't look at the heart and mind with awareness when our heart and mind is still not willing to put down the world. Because as long as the awareness is entangled with our thoughts about things, we can't observe the mind, we can't understand the mind. So this is an initial and essential step. So if it takes you 10 years 
to get some competency with these first two steps, it's well worth your time to practice. You know, when you look at other, both in the Buddhist tradition and other traditions, there are many ways people practice putting down the world. Some of you might do it when you wash dishes, and you're just washing dishes when you wash dishes. The radio's not on. You're not thinking about being done with the dishes. You're there with the touching and the temperature and the movement and the seeing and the hearing. And you're so there in the activity that nothing else is allowed in for that, whatever, 15 minutes, let's say. And I encourage you to do it in other places, ordinary places like that. Some of you have a prayer or chanting practice. Well, let that be an exclusive. Like, Don't let your mind wander when you're doing that one thing. Or when you walk. I try, you know, imperfectly, but I really try because I often walk back and forth. My house is just seven blocks away. It's almost a perfect distance. It takes about 10 minutes, 12 minutes. And uh, I try to be in the physicality of walking when I'm coming here and going home. And uh, it's really helpful. You know, I'll have moments, a string of moments, and I'll lose it. And then a string of moments, and I'll lose it. And I might lose it for a while before remembering that it's just walking. It could be that simple. This could be a good time to train. Even people like some of us have studied here at the Center with Saida Utejaniya. We have a lot of his resources on our website. And a really powerful Burmese Buddhist monk and teacher. And um, I was going to do his retreat at Spirit Rock in June, but I guess he's canceled. So I'll be teaching that retreat with a lot of other people that have um, studied with Saida. But even someone like Saida, who really doesn't emphasize this using exclusive meditation objects. When you really pick his brain about how he trains, he has all kinds of little exclusive things. Like he was a, before he became a, a monk, he, uh, his, he was a married and depressed and worked in the marketplace in Burma, in Miramar. And he would do, you know, because he was all this sort of haggling around the business. I forget what business the family was in, but um, all this sort of haggling and stuff, negotiations. But he, whenever there's a little gap, he'd do something where he would touch one finger, he'd touch the next finger, and then the next, and the next. And he would simply meet that experience so that in that moment, there was nothing in the mind but that simple experience of touching being known. Touching being known. Maybe he'd get three fingers before he had to do something. Maybe he'd get several rounds in. And then he'd have to be a normal human being Haggling, doing this, doing that, right? Doing, uh, sustaining mindfulness in that wild activity as best we can. But then when the mind is able to get radically simple, then to do that. And this happens all the time. This is why here at Common Ground, most of our teachers, we use mindfulness immersed in the body as the primary technique. And you see that with the third instruction, maybe in a week or two, we'll go. We'll spend a couple of weeks at least on the first two instructions, which is more this exclusive. But the third instruction is breathing in, sensitive to the whole body. So the Buddha is already moving with his instruction to this more inclusive awareness 
of the uh, mindfulness or awareness immersed, intimate with the body, whole body awareness. But it's easier to fool ourselves into that we're mindful when we have a more open, like whole body awareness, because it can feel like we're aware, but we can be thinking, but not realizing that thoughts are happening. Right? So this is a real training. Really take it up in that friendly spirit. Why can't the mind, and some of, some of your minds in this room, you'll find this relatively easy because it's a lot about mental temperament. Some of you will have that kind of mental temperament to have exclusive attention to one thing. And others of you will find it really challenging. But everybody benefits from really giving it some time and some of you might need to give it more time. So even as over the months now we, you know, for the rest of the fall, you know, as we dig into these instructions on mindfulness of breathing, feel free at the beginning of each set to devote, everyone should devote some time, a couple minutes, if you have really good ability to get exclusive, this exclusive attention. But some of you, it might be 80% of your set. So if you're sitting for 30 minutes, 80% would be whatever 80% of 30 minutes is, right? So most of it. And then maybe at the end, open it up. But really work on that. And you might need to do it for a whole year, a couple years where you're really, no, no, this is a skill, a mental skill that can be mastered. Breathing in, sensitive to the in-breath, whatever that's like. Really remember, it's got to be skillful and sustained. Skillful means relaxed. You're just like the body breathes and however it's breathing is going to be okay. Okay? So I'll leave it there because it would be nice to hear from a couple of you before the children come in just what you noticed in today's set. What felt good? What felt challenging? Any questions about these first few instructions? I'm kind of curious about... um, uh, Well, everybody had their eyes closed, including you. And I, I find that a lot more challenging to stay... I feel like I'm locking myself away in the closet full of me when I do that. Um, and it's easier to feel like, oh, I'm just in a room. This is just the present moment. There are leaves outside. There's the light coming in that way. And I, I'm curious about, I don't know, the closing one's eyes as part of the yeah. practice. Cause it, no, it's a good question. And there isn't, basically you should do what helps. Helps with the development or cultivation of present moment awareness. And there's advantages and disadvantages to both practices. Sometimes when we're doing more of the exclusive training, uh, it can help to simplify one of the sense gates by having the eyes closed. Experience is a little bit simpler because of that. But it can also trigger a lot of mental projection, right? And that can be seductive and draw the mind into mental activity. So it's really specific to each person. I also find that I just go through phases where for years, mostly I practice with my eyes open and then for years, closed. And I just sort of let it sort of be what it's going to be. But it's good to check out, like if you only do one, check out the other so you know the advantages and disadvantages. And in this way, just like how we sit, whether you use a chair or sit on the floor, whether you kneel across your legs, it's like what supports the practice. Yeah, thanks. 
Hi, my name is Kit, and I've been meditating for years, and this is the first time I've taken in this teaching, and I found it very uncomfortable, and I realized that the practice I've been doing has been the one where we are aware in the body, and I feel the air, and in doing this, I realized I've not dropped my hypervigilance. That full awareness for me keeps me in that hypervigilance, and this I found very challenging and evoked all sorts of fear, so I'm very grateful for the teaching. (laughs) And your comment is really important, Kit, and I should have said that. Uh, Be prepared. Some of you, a certain percentage, you're going to experience real pushback when you take this up, and that's a good sign, like we hear from Kit's comment, you know, that you have that kind of understanding, like, oh, that... That's ex- that's like a sign of a good Dharma student when there's pushback, when th- it's sort of the mind realizes I'm in new territory and that's good, because that's where we learn. If it's familiar, if it feels good and easy, it might feel good and easy, but there's probably not going to be a lot of learning. You know, and there's a real telltale sign. Like if we stick with it, there will be a. I use that word healing on purpose. And that really points to the fourth instruction, which we'll get to. Um, and you'll, when you, if you dig into the resources, you'll, you'll see the whole list of instructions. So don't feel like you can't look ahead. But it's really the calming of the whole mind-body system. And it's a real integration of mind and body. We really understand what it is to be embodied and have a healthy relationship with the body. Now, the body may still have its injuries and imperfections, but the mind has a healthy, beautiful relationship with the body. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else? Maybe time for one more? Yeah, Tom and then Raha. Thank you. Mine's just a comment anyway, so short. When I've been sitting and aware of my, my thoughts, it's sometimes quite easy to say, oh, those are just thoughts. And then there's other times those thoughts have to do with planning. I'm saying, i got to do this, I need to do that. And it's hard for me to, to let it go because I think, well, this is important. I need to know this. When I get home, I need to do that. But today's your, your talk just gave me a different uh, view of that or something. So it's really nice. I just bring that up because other people might have that same comment. When you're planning, it seems like it's something we need to keep doing. Yeah. But you've given me permission today to... Drop it. Yeah. I can just drop it and go back to my breath. And that was a great idea. Thank you. And you could even call it a little death. It is a little death that me that feels really strongly that, oh, I, I should really think this through, we're letting that die and returning. And so there, it will be poignant when we return. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.